Mark chapter 7. I want you to open your Bibles there. I want to, want to begin just by, by reading our text. Um, actually, while, while you're turning there, just want to uh, just continue to encourage you to the Heart of Marriage Conference. Um, have a have a couple prizes here that they emailed that they mailed to us. They didn't email these. <laughs> this came through the wire. This didn't come. Uh, just a couple books, two hearts, praying as one, uh, rekindling the romance. This would be a good book and um, moments with you. These are Dennis and Barbara Rainey books that these will be giving away to all those who come to the conference. Would encourage you to do that. Um, I think that's that's all. I just wanted to push that. Really encourage you. Really encourage you to invite invite people. As I, as I mentioned in my prayer, I just even uh, had a chance to invite our neighbors, and uh, she may come. She's she and her husband interested in it. Maybe, maybe not. Would encourage you all to do so. Uh, anyway, we are. What, what else did I forget? Other times, um, they're they're there in your bulletin. 7 p.m. on Friday night, it's in the 9:30, and then Saturday from 9 to 4. Uh, be a, a great time. Hopefully, it strengthens our marriages. I know that the foundation of the church really is a family, and the foundation of the family is our marriages. Well, Mark, Mark chapter seven, verses twenty-four through thirty-seven. So Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And we had entered a house. He wanted no one to know of it. Yet. He could not escape notice. But after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Syrophoenician race, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he was saying to her, Let the little children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. And he said to her, Because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. And he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hand on him. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven, with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephephtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray. Father, I pray that You'd help these words come alive to our hearts and our souls. I just know I need Your help. Um, They are great stories of what You have done for helpless people. I pray that we might all see our need and might see Your compassion for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you read your Bible, one thing's clear is that God has a heart for the helpless. When we read through the Old Testament, there's constant references to the orphans and to the widows and to the foreigners. God's just always concerned about those who might be abused by society. 
And He seeks to uphold them and seeks to lift them up. Throughout the law, God's always protecting their rights. Exodus 22.22 You shall not afflict any widow or any orphan. Deuteronomy 10, verse 18, God executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows His love for the foreigner by giving him food and clothing. In fact, God even instituted a way for those who are less fortunate to, um, to supply their needs. For those who had no land, what God told His people is this, when you reap in your harvest and, and you've forgotten a sheaf in the field, don't go back and get it. But rather, it should be for the foreigner and for the orphan and for the widow in order that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. That's how God has supplied for the less fortunate. You, you go through the field and whatever you leave, you just leave there and the less fortunate can go and they can grab and they can have those things. It's the way God worked. God, they worked and God provided for them. In fact, Psalm 68 says this, A father of the fatherless and a judge for the widows is God in His holy habitation. God has a heart for helpless people. Now, you've got to know this is different than other societies. I just returned from Nepal a couple weeks ago. And in Nepal, um, the helpless people are viewed with contempt and scorn and they are pushed down and continue to be oppressed. Um, because Hindus believe in reincarnation that that whatever they are in this life is because of a previous life and they're being punished. And part of their punishment is the punishment that I inflict upon them. And so if you're an orphan and a widow in a, in a land like Nepal or India, you are out of luck. But God has a heart for helpless people, for the orphan, the widow, and the foreigner. That can easily extend to the disabled, the poor, the homeless, the sinful, the minority. That is the Gospel, that God helps the helpless. God helps us when we could not help ourselves. Romans 5, 6-8. through 8. It says, God, while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were helpless, we couldn't help ourselves. That's when Christ died for the ungodly. Paul goes on to say, One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man some would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. And there's the reality is is that God has looked down upon us and seen those who are helpless and He's come to be our help in Jesus. And that's why we exist at Rock Valley Bible Church. We exist because God has helped us who are helpless. We aren't a church filled with self-sustaining, self-powering people. We are, we are a church filled by, by weak people who need God's help. And by faith in Him, by God's grace, we have come to know freedom in the Gospel. That's why we gather here each Sunday, right? The, the, the whole mission statement of Rock Valley Bible Church, I want to test you here. Rock Valley Bible Church exists to enjoy His grace and to extend His glory. Let's say that again. Rock Valley Bible Church exists to enjoy His grace and extend His glory. And that's what it is. We have received grace and we are today enjoying that grace. And we go out from us to extend that glory. Well, in our text this morning, we see two different people who are in many ways opposites. In many ways, they find themselves, um, one is a woman, uh, one is a man. One, her affliction wasn't herself, but it was her daughter. The man was afflicted um, with being deaf, being dumb, he couldn't speak. Um, the woman pleaded the Lord with many words, the deaf and dumb person merely just brought to Jesus and He healed him. And yet, both of them were helpless. They were in unfortunate circumstances. They had difficulties in their life. And Jesus had compassion for them because Jesus 
cares for the helpless. Now, notice also, not only are they, they helpless, but they also, they're Gentiles too, which means they're outside of the, the covenant promises of Israel. As I read in Ephesians 2, these people were strangers to the covenant. They were separate from the promises of Messiah. They had no hope. And they were without God in the world. The promise of the Old Covenant wasn't given to them. Any promise that they would have merely just sloshed over to them. And yet, Jesus demonstrates His mercy towards these people. And, and what a contrast this is from the first half of, of Mark chapter 7, where you have the, the Pharisees who had the covenants, who had the hopes of the Messiah, who had the Scriptures and all the knowledge about God. They were far from God because their hearts were hard. They taught us doctrine, the precepts of men, ignored the commandments of God. Whereas these people here were hungry for God. They, they needed any kind of help that they have. And Jesus then goes outside the covenant to those who are helpless, has compassion upon them, heals their diseases. Verse 24 sets the scene. Jesus got up. He was in the Galilee region. Uh, we see that in, in verse um, 1. that The Pharisees had come from Jerusalem into Galilee. And now Jesus went to the region of Tyre. And when He had entered a house, He wanted no one to know of it. He could not escape notice. Now, I have a map. Are we ready on that map there, Chuck? Okay, we have our yellow map today because we have a shortage in our... In our uh... Oh, no, we don't have a yellow map. I bet we'll have a yellow map here pretty soon. That's okay. Um, <clears throat> Jesus ministered up there where it says Galilee. And the Jews had come up from Jerusalem to talk to Him. And then in verse 24, He leaves. He goes up to Tyre. Right? Up uh, northwest. It goes yellow again. Northwest of, uh, of Galilee is where they are. Um, it's about 30 miles or so along there. If you see the grid down here, you can see, see it goes up into Tyre. Uh, more importantly though, not just where it is, what it is, but this was outside the Jewish sector. Uh, Tyre was known for being a wicked city, even being compared on the par with Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Tyre it was a seacoast city. Um, you know, if we want to uh, get that off, we can. We can leave it on, whatever you want. It's not, not a big deal. Uh, but the Jews in that part of uh, the country were, were minority at best. And um, brings us to verse 24, maybe a hint of why Jesus went up there. It's because when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it. I think he was seeking a bit of rest from the crowds. Uh, oftentimes in the Gospel of Mark, we see large crowds pressing in upon Jesus. And in, chapter, in fact, turn this one important. Turn back to chapter three, verse seven. So it's at this point that Jesus withdrew to the sea and his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed. And catch this: also from Judea. We have the map, maybe Judea in the south, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea. And from uh, beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, and a great number of people heard all that He was doing and they came to Him. And so He told His disciples in verse 9 that a boat should stand ready for Him because of the crowds, so they would not crowd Him. So we got people coming all around in the Sea of Galilee. They're just coming from everywhere, flocking to hear Jesus. Okay, we're, we're done with the map. It's okay. A large crowd gathering there and Jesus said, hey, these crowds are a lot. We just need to back away in case in case they come and crowding in upon us. In chapter 5, verse 22, a large crowd gathered around Him, so it prohibited Him from going into the inland. He just had to stay by the sea. And then in chapter 6, verse 30, leading up to the context of where we are, 
It says, The apostles gathered together with Jesus. They reported to Him all that they had done and taught. And we, He said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and let's rest for a while. For there are many people coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. So, so Jesus recognized how weary things had become because the crowds had pressed upon them. He said, we've been engaged in so much ministry, we just need to get away. And so as they went to get away, you'd think that all is well, except the people, verse 33, saw them going. And so they, they got to them on the other side. And uh, you know, even when they ran over by foot, you can see in verse 53 then, when they crossed over and come to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore... They got out of the boat. Immediately, the people recognized him. So it seems like, like wherever he went, people were just seeing. Oh, there he is! There's the Jesus Jesus boat. There he is! Let's find him. And they're running around the shore. So wherever Jesus was, there's just crowds and crowds of people all around Galilee. I believe that here, when he went in verse 24 of chapter seven, he went to find some seclusion. He went to find some rest. He went to find some privacy. Is what he was seeking to do. And yet, 13 Jewish men walking into town is a difficult thing to keep under wraps. And the, the word spread like wildfire, verse 24 says, that he could not escape notice. It shows you how far the, the news of Jesus had spread back in chapter 3, verse 7. Even people from Tyre and Sidon had come down and, and they began to speak about this Jesus, this miracle worker, that even in pagan lands, he was known for his healing powers. And it's right here that we see a woman who knew of the healing powers of Jesus. We meet, my first point, a desperate woman. A desperate woman. And here's good news for us this morning. God loves desperate people. First Peter 5, five says that God has opposed the proud but gives grace to the humble. And that's the contrast here between the, those in the first part of verse 7. The Pharisees were not humble, but this woman is a humble, desperate woman. And the application is obvious for us, right? Let's learn from the humble. Let's learn from Jesus' heart towards the humble. We read in verse 25 of her predicament. Her daughter had an unclean spirit. That is, her daughter was demon-possessed. Now, I'm sure many of the mothers here, if they had a daughter who had an unclean spirit, had a daughter who was demon-possessed, you'd do everything in your power to help, to help cure your daughter. You'd go to doctors. You'd pray to God. Maybe being in a, a pagan land, we don't know anything about the religious background of this Syrophoenician woman. Maybe she prayed to the idols. Maybe she sought the, the pagan priests. In fact, even in Nepal, that, that's how things often work there, is that, that people are sick and, and they need help. And so they go to the Hindu witch doctors, they go to the Hindu holy men, and they seek help. And the Hindu holy man does some things and, and makes them pay. And does some things and makes them pay. And they empty all their money. They don't have any money left and they're not healed. And so they go to the pastor and says, will you pray for me? And there are many times, I've heard stories of people in Nepal where the pastor prays for them and they're healed. They said, this is a sovereign God. And, and I think this woman here may have done all those things, but when her Jesus was in town, she knew the healing power of Jesus, believed Him, trust Him, and went, in, went out towards Him. As verse 25 says, after hearing of Him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at His feet. We see her desperation here. At first hearing Jesus was in town, she left. Right? It says immediately she left. No sooner did the, the words, the news of Jesus hit her ears than that she left and went to see Jesus. And her response was indicative of her desperation. Quick to try anything. Anything that will help. And that's what desperate people do. Desperate people will be impulsive. 
just maybe this will help, or maybe this will help, or maybe this will help, rather than thinking through a plan to, to help. She was desperate. And we also see just even her body language. She fell at his feet. Down on all fours, indicating her desperation. The only way that you'll be down on all fours begging and pleading someone to help is if you are utterly desperate. That's her circumstance. In verse 26, we see more of her desperation. The woman was a Gentile and of the Syrophoenician race. So again, I talked about all, she was outside of the realm of Israel and find out that she does know a little bit about that. And she's desperate even to go to a Jewish man to help her. And it says here that she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. It's a verb, it's an imperfect verb, meaning continual past action. She kept asking and asking and asking and asking and asking. And we don't know what exactly she said, but Lord, my, my daughter has a demon. Can you heal her? Lord, my daughter has a demon. Can you heal her? And she's on her face and, oh, Lord. Lord Jesus, my daughter, can you help my daughter? Lord Jesus, I need help. I need help. Would you help me? Jesus, Jesus, my daughter is at home. And just went on and on. And maybe in your mind, even you can picture some people like that, some women like that. I remember living in L.A., uh, sometimes kind of being out in parks. It's a dangerous place to be, but coming across some women like this just... Wouldn't be surprised if they were demon-possessed, just shouting and yelling and pleading. But here she was, pleading for, for Jesus to help. And parents, maybe you know a little bit what that's like with your kids. When your kids got something on their agenda, maybe when they're young, I know our, our son David is relentless sometimes. He can just ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask and ask. And some of the time, we're not even listening. We're kind of ignoring him. We don't know. And then, oh, he's asking about something. And, and some, that is what what Jesus was doing. He was somewhat ignoring her. Um, Matthew's account, we know the continual asking was driving the disciples nuts. Uh, they told Jesus, Jesus, send her away. She's shouting after us. And they were like, get her out of here. She is shouting too much. But Jesus wasn't bothered by her request. He wasn't granting her request. I think ignoring her, but neither was He bothered by them. But we see here what Jesus was saying. Again, an imperfect verb. It, this, this conversation probably went back and forth. 27. Let the children be satisfied first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Conversation is going like this. Jesus, my daughter, can you heal my daughter? She's demon possessed. He says, no, no. Let the children be satisfied first. No, Lord, my, my daughter is demon possessed. He says, no, no, it's not good to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Lord, Lord, she's demon possessed. Can you please come and help her? No, let the children be fed first. Oh, Lord, please. It's not good to throw the, dog, the food before the dog. And I think this went back and forth. That's, that's the text, that's the tense of these verbs. Back and forth, back and forth. And I think on one level, Jesus is probably pointing out what's going on in the house. Maybe they had a house dog right there. And she's saying, uh, just uh, look over there. Right, right, aren't the children being fed? Look, aren't the dogs being neglected? And, and, and maybe there was just this physical illustration of what was going on and Jesus was doing. Maybe another level, she, he was actually living out the parable before her eyes. He wasn't even giving her the right attention. Oh, uh, giving her the attention. Just saying, no, let the children be first. And she's shouting, and let the children be first. Maybe he wasn't even talking to her so much sometimes. Maybe just carrying on his ministry to the Jews, at least to the disciples, or maybe just ministering to the disciples to the neglect of her and everybody else. She was a Gentile. But on a final level, the, 
the woman would have seen that Jesus was speaking parable. The children and the dogs, what was ever being acted out in the home, whether there was anything being acted out in the home, it was a living parable that's being happened to you. Basically, Jesus called her a dog. Not a good compliment. Okay. Um, in uh, English, there's a word that calls a woman a dog, which I'm not even going to mention because it's so derogatory. Um, and here, likewise, a similar insult took place. But look at her humility and faith, how it shines through in verse 28. She answered and said, once it processed her mind, she thought, she said, yes, Lord. Stop there. I know I'm a dog. I know I'm a Gentile, but Lord, even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. I know the dogs get something, and I, oh Lord, would be happy with anything. Well, as most of you know, the Brandon household, we are new to dogs. Um, This past fall, this past autumn, we got our new dog who's appropriately named Autumn, Hannah's dog. Hannah's out camping today, so she can't enjoy this. But we were at a dinner last night, and we had breakfast for dinner. Um, you know what that's about? Pancakes. And we had, Yvonne made some omelets, which were really yummy. We had some fruit there. And, and our drinks was orange juice. And we're enjoying our dinner. And, and um, Autumn, we haven't figured this out yet, but I, I'm kind of of the persuasion that we should keep Autumn kind of closed up when we're eating rather than have her come up on her, her laps and stuff. But once we're done eating, I think we can open the gate and she can come and, and lick it up. And she'll find that David's place is probably the best place to go after first. But... Anyway, we were eating and she was kind of walking around and um, had some orange juice spilled. Spilled right on the crack and starts going down right on the floor. And you know where Autumn was, right? She was on that like like instant. And she's sitting there licking the floor, licking up all this orange juice. We had to finally like take her away in order to get her out so we could clean it up. But that happened last night. And, and you know what? She didn't complain. She complained and says, oh, I wanted a cup. I want to drink more of this. She was content to drink the, the orange juice right up there on the floor. And I'm sure that many of you with dog, more dog experience than we have know this illustration far better than I have. But so it is with this woman. She would be content with anything that the Lord Jesus would be willing to drop from the table. And Jesus did drop something very nicely to her. He said, verse 29, because of this answer, go the demon has gone out of your daughter. It's because of her answer, not because of her wit, but because of her humility, because of her faith. He responded and gave her daughter the healing that she so long desired. And then we see this woman's faith again in verse 30, that she went back to her home, found the child lying in the bed, the demon having left. She left to see what Jesus had done for her, knowing and believing that Jesus had indeed healed the little girl. And she found her restored to health. By the way, this displays the omnipotence of Jesus, the omniscience knowing where the woman lived, healed the little girl from afar, knew that she was doing fine. Jesus didn't always have to touch people. He touched people in the next parable. He didn't always have to. He could have just said the word and they'd be healed. And I think before we move on to see this deaf man, let's just think about this. Let's... Let's learn from this parable. Let's learn first of all from Jesus. He loves to grant the requests of desperate people who have no rights to claim. 
You remember the parable of the widow and the judge? She was seeking legal protection. And uh, yet the judge was somehow prejudiced against her and refused to grant her justice. And yet her constant requesting of the judge day in, day out, wore down this unrighteous judge. He said, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. And then Jesus says, learn from the judge. It's interesting. We would say, doesn't it mean learn from the widow? It says, no, learn from the judge. And this unrighteous judge asks or grants requests from someone who just begs and begs and begs, how much more will God, who is righteous, how much more will not He bring about His justice for His elect? And so let's learn from Jesus that even this woman who had no privileges, was a downcast from society, nothing's mentioned of her husband, she is in a desperate situation, she's obnoxious, she's loud, she gets Jesus' attention and Jesus gladly gives her what she wanted And so likewise, know that God is righteous and loves to hear our cries and looks to the humble. Let's also learn from the woman. Maybe you remember the parable in Luke 18, the the parable of the unrighteous judge is told in the first eight verses and then verses 9 through 14, was it six verses, tells about the parable of the publican and the Pharisee when the Pharisee offered up a prayer of self-righteousness. God, I thank You that, that You have made me uh, right, not like other people, not like this tax gatherer uh, or adulterers. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Oh Lord, look at how righteous I am. And and yet then the tax collector was over, face down, wouldn't even look up, beating his breast and saying, "God, be merciful to me, the sinner." And Jesus said, "The one went down the house justified, and it wasn't the self-righteous Pharisee. It was the the humble one." who just beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me. And likewise, this woman was willing to be called a dog. She was willing to take the scraps of the table. She knew she was outside the covenant, no promises to claim. She was just longing for anything that the Lord would give her. And we can learn from that because we have the promises. I mean, that was the thrust of my Scripture reading today, Ephesians 2. We have the promises. We have Messiah. We have hope because God has made Israel and the church. He has made them one because we receive. We have access. We are one new man because every promise that came to Israel extends to us as church. We have been grafted into the olive tree by faith. We have access to the promises. So, so we ought to come humbly like the the woman did, confessing our sin, longing for Him to work, pleading for Christ to help us, and yet also realizing that we, as believing Gentiles, are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, that we aren't dogs, that we are children. And as children, we can ask as children. We have access to God in ways that this woman didn't. So if this woman came begging for scraps of the table and she was a dog, What about us as children? Do we become the complaining child? Or do we come with such ardor like this woman did? Well, there's lots to learn from this woman as she displayed her faith. Well, we've seen a desperate woman and now verse 31 to 37, a deaf man. Again, verse 31 sets the geography. If we can get a map up again, that would be helpful. We read, He went out from the region of Tyre 
and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of the Decapolis. Okay, kids, I need your help on this one. Tyre, you guys know where Tyre is? You see that? You see where Tyre is? Ethan, you got where Tyre is? Do you see it? No? Tyre's way up there in the upper left, okay? And then where's the Decapolis? You see it there? I hope you can. If I had a, a pointer, I could do this. But Decapolis is right here, uh, southwest, southeast of the Sea of Galilee. Yep, there we go. And if you're going to go from Tyre to Decapolis, how are you going to go? You just think you'd go right down the Sea of Galilee and then drop over. But what does the text say? Here it says verse 41. He went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon. Which way did he go? Which way did he go? He went north. And uh, some of us said, oh, that's kind of strange. Why would you go north to go to Decapolis? It's like going to Dallas by way of Minneapolis. You wouldn't, you wouldn't really do that. You don't, you don't go north. But when you realize what Jesus is seeking to do... Okay, we're, we're done with the map. That's okay. Um, Jesus was seeking to avoid the crowds. If he went through Galilee, the crowds would be there again. And so probably he, he took this route um, that was a, a roundabout route uh, up north and kind of around so he'd miss some of the crowds as he went down the Sea of Galilee and down there. Also, if you realize that maybe he's just doing this uh, evangelistic tour a little bit, just, just seeking smaller settings and seeking to expand his influence a little bit. It's not like he focused on the outer regions, but he did a bit to show his heart. Maybe you realize also that Jesus was seeking a secluded place for His disciples and uh, was seeking that seclusion so didn't want the crowds. He's just ministering to these people, maybe finding smaller houses that He could go into to minister in a smaller way. There is, there is a sweetness to, to small ministry rather than to just large ministry. I remember John Piper talking about being at uh, pastoring Bethlehem Baptist Church and and he just, um, by that time, whatever, the church is several thousand big and he can't even hope to know all those. And he said, oh, sometimes I just long to be at a small church in Minnesota someplace where I know everybody's name and where I can care for everybody and, and be there in their lives in a way that he couldn't in a bigger way. And I think that's a little bit what Jesus, he wanted a smaller ministry, just the sweetness of ministering to people, certainly with his disciples to travel along the way, staying away from the crowds. But finally comes to the Capolis, Deca, Ten, Polis, City, to the region of ten cities, southeastern portion of the Sea of Galilee, largely Gentile, by the way. Some Jews were there. This wasn't the first time He came to this region. When Jesus came the first time, remember He cast a legion of demons out of the man? I said, the demon possessed He was a crazy man who lived by the tombs, who who he tore his clothes off and chains couldn't handle him and he shut down a road so that no one could pass by. And uh, Jesus said, what's your name? And the demon said, Legion, for we are many. And um, he then went to cast him out and the, the man said, how about, can we go to the swine? And so they went to the 2,000 swine. So at least 2,000 demons were in this man. And at some point, then the people came back and saw this man clothed in his right clothed and sitting in his right mind. And the people were scared about the power of Jesus. They implored Him to leave. And the man who was healed wanted to fall after Jesus. And Jesus said to him, No, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He had mercy on you. And then Mark 5.20 says this, He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So here's this one man went to Decapolis, spread the news about the mercy that he would received, 
And Jesus here returns to that region after a few months maybe, after a year. I mean, no more than a couple years, that's for sure. Jesus' ministry is only three. So maybe a year. We don't even know what it is. But this man did a great job at spreading the Word because in verse 33 even it says that the crowd came. When Jesus comes into the capitalist, they hear about Jesus. And this man had told them about Jesus. And they weren't fearful this time. Rather, they came and they knew of the healing power of Jesus. And verse 32, they bring this man. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. And they implored him to lay his hands on them. He had two problems. He was deaf, he couldn't hear, and he was dumb, he couldn't speak. And they were eager to see Jesus heal this man. Now, how different this was when the Pharisees brought someone with a physical ailment. Right? Remember when they brought the man with a withered hand? They brought him on the Sabbath to see if he'd heal on the Sabbath so they could accuse him and trap him. But this was like when the four friends dug a hole in the roof of the house and, and let down their paralytic friend in front of Jesus to see if He would heal them. That's what these, these were friends seeking help probably because they're from a, a pagan land that they're not caught up in all the ritual religious stuff that all the Pharisees were entrapped by when speaking with Jesus. And, and then Jesus in verse 33 does a tender thing. He took him aside from the crowd. So here's everybody, and, and uh, the crowd probably saw what was going on, but he said, here, come here, let me, let me, let me talk to you. Why don't you come over here? And took him, took him by himself. And then it says, and I'm just going to quote from memory, he, he put his fingers in his ears, put his right finger in his left ear and his left finger in his right ear, looking probably head on like this, and, and just face to face. How different this was when he was healing the, the woman's daughter. Right, just healed from afar, very impersonal, just, okay, it's done for you. But in this case, just real personal, just right face to face. And then it says that he spit, probably spit on his hand and touched the tongue, identifying the, the spots where this man was needing healing in his ears and his mouth. And then, and then he lifted his, his head up to heaven and sighed. Why side? I don't know. Maybe sometimes before you pray, sometimes a big prayer. I know I've done this before. You just... You're just thinking about this big prayer you're going to say. And Jesus says this big prayer. Ephepha! <laughs> Be opened. And verse 35 says, His ears were opened and the impediment of His tongue was removed and He began speaking plainly. Two miracles took place that day. Instantly the man could hear. Instantly the man could speak. Now, what's interesting, I'm trying to just think about ways to put yourself in the sight of this guy. Speaking and hearing puts you in society. Uh, we, we tend to think that, if, if I would ask you, what's worse, blindness or being deaf and dumb? Which, which is worse? And we have to say, well, of course, blindness is. Uh, but there's a way with blindness that if someone leads you around, you can still converse and talk with people and people can get inside your head and, and you can be somewhat interesting and people can engage with you. But if you're deaf and dumb, you might be able to walk around okay, but people kind of look at you strange or they, 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 can't, they can't really talk to you very well. It just doesn't work. And so this man now speaking and hearing could be part of society. In fact, even I remember um, my trips to Nepal. The pastors that I've trained over there with, um, if, I, if they can speak English, there's a lot of communion with us. But if they don't speak English, 
I mean, they're not deaf and dumb. They can sign, they can do everything they want, but just it's hard to spend time with them. Right? I remember the story about the, the woman Amon, Avon met with. I forget what her name was. Jeevan? Just smiled and hugged Avon and just smiled. They couldn't, they couldn't like touch base, but they could communicate at that rudimentary level. But this man was, was brought back into society Communicating his life was changed and forever. And, and I, I want even for, I was just looking for ways to, to just capture the emotion of this passage. So I, I emailed a friend, a dear friend of mine who was born deaf. Some of you know him, Dan Scott, was here at the beginning of, of Rock Valley Bible Church, had to move to Indiana for job wise. But he had some hearing in his ears, but not much. Um, he had an interesting problem um, because he could make out low frequencies but not the high frequencies. Um, so hearing aids never really helped him because they amplify all, all frequencies and just ended up distorting things in his, in his ears, in his mind. So he never really was able to use hearing aids. He learned to adapt. He learned to read lips pretty well. Uh, he paid attention a lot to nonverbal cues. And since he could learn here, um, low frequencies, I used to talk to him like this and I would speak slowly and, and it would work. And I didn't always go that exaggerated, but if you spoke low and loud and clearly and slowly, he could see and understand what, what you're talking about. But there's some, I remember him talking about some ladies, hospital work at, so I can't hear them at all. <laughs> you know, he was a PC tech and he went out to help people and if they had a high voice, he just, he, <laughs> it was hopeless. Um, but he liked some of the ladies with the deep, deep voices, so he would have loved the deans, all right? You, you girls have the deepest voice, he would have loved... Gracie and Rachel, because um, they have nice, deep voices. Well, anyway, 10 years ago, he received a cochlear implant. I like to call it his bionic ear. Um, and, and maybe you guys have seen people like that. They, he, he's got this electronic device inside, and he's got a battery outside which magnetically sticks to his ear, and then it's got a, a, a tube in here so he can hear. But, you know, if you just pull that away from him, he's like stone deaf. Um, but if you put that on there, then he can, he can hear with his ear. And uh, so I emailed him and I just said, Dan, I'm preaching this passage. Um, uh, could you maybe share some of your thoughts and experiences of what you have from going from deafness to be able to hearing? And, and he sent back a video link from YouTube that um, he said, you know, this is about what it's like. Um, and so I want to show you this video. It's just like a minute and a half long, but I think it, it, it captures probably what it was like to have this man finally here. So it's a gal. She just had an operation. Hearing for the first time. <clears throat> it's like so close. There you go. We're not right over it. There you go. I'm sleeping. So now technically your device is on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's exciting. Here you can put it down for a second. Just to use the sound. <laughs> what does it sound like? <laughs> you know, one of your mess up guys. <laughs> <laughs> Can you hear me? 
and you hear your voice. Does your voice sound pretty loud? Um, no, not really. What's going on? <laughs> My laughter sounds loud. Yeah, you'll get used to all of that over time. <laughs> Do I hear your husband say something? <laughs> There's something about that, seeing someone who couldn't hear to hear, that just puts puts emotion in the passage. And, and this is what's happening, both with the Syrophoenician woman, but especially even here with this... Uh, with this man who couldn't hear, I'm sure he was just joined and, and overwhelmed that he could he could hear and he could be in society for the first time. Here was someone who was helpless, who Jesus helped him. This is exactly what the prophet said would take place in the days of Messiah, Isaiah thirty five, five and six. Then the eyes of the blind will be open, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. Indeed, what Messiah had promised had come. The ears of the deaf were unstopped, and the tongue of the mouth shouted for joy. But listen to uh, what my friend says about this video. He says, that's a, a dramatic video of someone who received a middle ear implant, similar to the cochlear implant that I received but it boosts the sound before it gets to the cochlea instead of replacing the cochlea. His cochlea was replaced. Not everyone has an immediate reaction like in the video. Some certainly do, but most patients who have as profound a loss as I had for as long as I had it end up struggling with the implant for the first few months and years. Even so, I immediately began to hear things I didn't hear before and of course I did not recognize what they were. For example, birds chirping, car engines, and keyboard keys being pressed. The sounds are overwhelming at first, but you grow used to them over time and your brain learns how to process them. Now, he says, after 10 years of being, after being implanted in quiet environments, I can understand anyone's voice. And sometimes I do not even need to see their face to speech read. I love being able to hear my kids talk, which I would not be able to do otherwise. I'm also grateful to be able to listen to MacArthur sermons he says. MacArthur speaks in such a way that's clear to him. Other preachers, he can't over the internet. But he can MacArthur. He says, although I can always read the sermon transcripts, being able to listen and understand the sermon brings it to life in ways not possible with the transcript alone. It's taken Dan Scott ten years to be able to get to that point. Ten years to learn as he he gets his, his brain working right, which was done instantly when Jesus healed this man. It shows you the, the magnitude of miracles. Jesus often does two miracles at the same time. When he, when he calmed the storm, right, the wind was blowing, He calmed the wind and He calmed the sea. And so likewise, we're going to see in two weeks from now when we see uh, uh, the blind man, we're going to see two miracles. Um, now he can just even see and he can perceive. And we're, we're just going to see even here that Jesus, is, He did these two miracles on this man, demonstrates the power that He indeed is the Messiah, and then he gives this strange command. So I'm not fully sure I fully understand this, but verse 36 says, He gave them orders not to tell anyone. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Yeah, right. 
You, okay, you, you tell her. Don't tell anyone what happened to you. Is that going to work? I don't, I don't think so. She's going to be so thrilled that she can't, she can't... I mean, that's what happened with the, uh, the man who was shown mercy at the legion of, angel, legion of demons come out of him, right? He spread it all throughout Decapolis so all Decapolis heard and knew. But the more he ordered them, the more widely did they continue to proclaim it. That's not the first time Jesus has said that. After cleansing the leper, he said, See that you tell nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing. What Moses commanded is a testimony to them. But, but that didn't work because he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city but stayed out in the unpopulated areas. They were coming to him from everywhere. You say, why did Jesus say this? I don't know why. Maybe it has to do with after cleansing the leper when so many crowds are coming, he had to stay out of the outer regions. Maybe he wanted to stay in Tyre, uh, or stay in Decapolis a little bit longer, but if the word got out, he'd have to leave Decapolis. Um, maybe it was because he, he wanted to show his humility. He wasn't a power-seeking miracle worker. Maybe he wanted to set his, his preaching priority right because as soon as word got out that he was a humili- uh, miracle worker, people would be coming and he'd just have to heal, but preaching was his priority. Is what he said uh, in several occasions. Maybe it was keeping silence, had to do his ultimate aim, giving his life a ransom for many to be crucified in Jerusalem. Too widespread a ministry may have hampered that or hindered that. I don't really know. All, all I know is this, is that you cannot silence good news. That's what I know. You cannot silence good news. When God has impacted your life, nobody's going to be able to shut you up. You're going to want to tell others what God has done for you. And the crowds surrounding Jesus here in the Decapolis are the fruit of one man who was demon-possessed, who single-handedly evangelized that entire region. And I just say this, the best evangelism training that anyone can have is to have a deep impact of God on their life. So you can't be silent. And I just say for all of us, we all struggle with our evangelism with being bold and being speaking with others. I mean, maybe even just even something as simple as uh, handing out marriage uh, forms in the neighborhood. I know some of you might say, oh, I don't, I don't even feel like that, that's too much. Maybe speaking with your neighbors. Maybe inviting even someone to this. And, and I just say this, is that um, let God impact your life and you won't be able to be shut up. No one's going to be able to shut you up if God impacts your life in a genuine and real way. So you say, boy, I want to have a heart of evangelist, then, then seek God's work in your life. Because you can't silence good news. In fact, then the reputation of Jesus spread abroad. Verse 37, they were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. It makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Overtones, even in this pagan society, of the Messiah that He's come. That Jesus does all these things. Well, He could do no wrong in there. And such is the picture of Jesus. He helps helpless people. He heals helpless people. He helps desperate people. He helps disabled people. What a good God we have. Let's go to Him and pray.